Well, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad that you're here this morning. We are in week two of a series we started last week called Better Than Normal. And, uh, you know, we talked about last week about how we were uh, getting back to this place, and maybe we were even asking this question like 12 months ago. When are we going to get back to normal, right? When are we going to get back to some kind of life as we once knew it? But, you know, I want to push back on that a little bit, at least in our spiritual walk, to say, do we really want to just be back to normal? And was normal really good? Or is there something out there that God has for us that perhaps is better than normal? better than normal. Last week we began with this, with a, a verse from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And, and in this verse it just uh, encompasses how the early Christians and how the first church were, were going about their mission, were going about their relationship with Jesus Christ, were going about winning other Christians. And it says this, that those early Christians, they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, we talked about that last week, how it's koinonia, deep fellowship, really getting to know each other. They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, to, to holy communion, and to prayer. And when they did these four things, we, we read that there were thousands coming to the Lord in Jerusalem, so much that it caused quite a stir amongst the leaders in that city. They wanted to squelch the Jesus people. And to squelch the Jesus movement. But because these early Christians devoted themselves to the basics, reading the Bible, fellowshipping, getting together and encouraging one another, keeping communion central to their worship, and coming to the Lord in prayer, the Jesus movement, the church of God, got out of that first century and comes even into this sanctuary today. Because they, the scripture says, devoted themselves to these things. Here's something I want us to realize as we begin this morning, is the early church moved further and faster while the early Christians grew closer and deeper. The early church grew further and it grew faster because the early Christians were growing closer and deeper. They were growing closer together in fellowship and deeper in their relationships with one another and because of their dedication, devoting themselves to these four things we were talking about, they were also drawing closer to God and deeper in fellowship with the Almighty God. And because of that, the church was exploding. And I think if Christians in a church would dedicate themselves to these things today, hang on, your church will be like no other church because we devote ourselves to the things that God wants and we see many, many more people accepting Christ because as the church grows further, faster, the growth of growing closer and deeper was there. And it makes sense if you think about it. Today we're going to focus on one part of that. On the, on the last thing on the list that it talks about, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is communication to God. It's communication to the Almighty God. How do we talk to Him? How do we have fellowship with Him? How do we communicate with Him? And I want you to think about this for just a second. Go, go back a year and think about when this pandemic hit, what was your prayer life like before? And, and did it change somehow when the lockdown happened? Did, did you find yourself praying more? And as the lockdown uh, kept going, you know, and I know we were still, you know, going to Lowe's and doing those kind of things, but, you know, we were locked out of the church for a few weeks and kind of locked in our home. You're supposed to stay home, you know, and flatten the curve 
Um, all those stuff, you know. But as we're doing that, did, did our prayers change? Did the frequency of our prayers change? Did the intensity of our prayers change? Did you find yourself communicating with God in a frequency and a pattern that you never had before? Because you knew, oh, this is going to be bigger than any human issue, than any human understanding here. This is something we need to take before the Lord. And did it affect your prayer life? Maybe you found yourself now, a year later, that yes, I'm in a deeper fellowship with God. I am, I'm having more and more prayer with Him. I'm communicating him with, with Him more often. Or perhaps, as you begin to reflect on this in your life, you think, gosh, you know what? As the masks have come off more and more, as the cases have gone down, as I get to go back to work, as the economy seems to be you know, getting, getting back to a healthy place, at least for a season, as we go through all of these things, I find myself now communicating with God less and less. And yet, it says that the early church and the early believers, they devoted themselves to prayer. Sometimes I know we get to this point in this place where we're like, well, I don't know how to pray. And I wish that prayer was a bigger part of my life. And I, I know it's, a, it's one of those things that needs to be a, a bigger part of my relationship with God. But how? How do I actually grow in this area of prayer? And if I don't know how to really pray, how would, let's, let's, go, let's go deeper. How would Jesus, as the Son of God, how would he want us to pray? Well, we find that actually in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn in the Word of God to Matthew, chapter 6. And just a reminder that if you have your phone or uh, you know, a tablet, an iPad, you can always turn on there, go to the Oakwood app, and uh, go, go in there, and all the scriptures and all the bullet points are going to be there. And let's talk this morning, and let's read about the Son of God and, and how He says we should pattern our prayers. Now, I will tell you this. As we begin this passage, we're going to begin in verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. A couple of things about this. First of all, this is right in the middle of a sermon that Jesus was preaching. Like right in the middle of a sermon, He breaks out with this part about prayer. Uh, you know this sermon as the Sermon on the Mount. It started in Matthew chapter 5. It ends in Matthew chapter 7. And right here in the middle of chapter 6... Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, the ones that are listening to him preach this sermon, he tells them, he instructs them on how to pray. But what's interesting about this, in verse 5, he actually starts out by telling us how not to pray. And so we're going to get to how not to pray, and then we're going to get to how to pray. So let, let, let's read the words of Jesus. And notice, if you have a Bible, um, you know, it has red letters. These are red letters. These are actually directly the words of the Son of God to us and to his disciples back then. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, he begins this, he says, and when you pray. Now let's pause there for a minute. Read into this, okay? And when you pray. What does that mean? It didn't say if, it says when. It's an expectation. The disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ are going to pray. And it was so just, just, part of who they are and part of who Jesus was that he says, hey, guys, when you pray, it's assumed they're going to pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. That's an interesting Greek word. It, it, it means the fakers, two-faced. 
And actually, it was a term used in drama, as one who plays the part of another. It's like, you know, you're actually Eric in real life. I'm going to play the part of Barnabas over here. And, and you fake, and you, you wear makeup, and you, you act. That, that's what he's addressing here. He says, when you pray, do not be like those who fake it, those who act like they're somebody. They, they act like they have a relationship with God. Hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. They do it for show. He says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. The little recognition when everybody's like, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so spiritual. They've already received their reward in full. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, there he is again. He doesn't say, if you pray, hey, uh, you know, if, if you guys ever pray. No, he says, when, this is an ongoing thing. And when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. That is deep. We're going to unpack that in just a few minutes. And then he gets to verse 9. He says, and then this, this is how you should pray. Now this next part you'd be familiar with. That a lot of people, whether you're inside the church, outside the church, maybe you've been to a funeral or a wedding, you may have heard something that, that maybe you've seen it printed in a, in a bulletin or, or a program of some type where it says the Lord's Prayer. This is what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now I've always thought this is kind of odd. This is Jesus teaching the disciples and his followers how to pray. I would call this the disciples' prayer. Not the Lord's Prayer, but, but, but regardless, Jesus gives this to us and to his disciples as a gift and a pattern of how we communicate with God and how we can do that in a God-honoring way. He says, then this is how you should pray. Listen to these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. Some, some translations say, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our transgressions, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts, our sins, our transgressions, our trespasses, as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who trespass, those who transgress against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus gives us this wonderful pattern for prayer. And I think as believers, we need to take note of this. Now, I told you where we're going to begin this morning is how not to pray. Because that's where Jesus starts. Read verse 5 again. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. I, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. How not to pray? Don't pray for show or to look spiritually superior. Do not pray for show or to look spiritually superior. That's what he's addressing here. Maybe you've experienced this in your life. As you have somebody that just talks about how they pray all the time and how their, their prayer life so rich, it's almost become like spiritual bragging about their communication with God. 
And Jesus is clear here. He says, if you want to sit there and get some recognition for this public prayer life that you're claiming to have, that is your reward in full. Is, is the little man-made recognition that you'll get. That will be your reward in full. That's it. Don't do it for show. Don't do it to look superior. You know, sometimes I think Christians truly struggle with pride and maybe arrogance, and maybe it's in an area like this. And we get this, we, we puff out our chest and we act like, you know, we have this, this spiritual, I call it a spiritual superiority complex. And maybe you've met someone like that. That it's almost like they're arrogant about their relationship with God. They're arrogant about their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I feel like there's a tone through all of this passage of humility. To honor God as high and lift it up. And that we humbly come before him. Not on the street corners, not proclaiming, not standing in the synagogue so we get some kind of recognition for our prayers. Don't pray for show. Or to look spiritually superior, how not to pray. Now look at verses 6 and 7. It says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now Jesus isn't saying here that you always need to pray in secret. But this doesn't need to be something that we brag about or we're trying to get some accolades or we're trying to look spiritual to other people. He's simply saying this is communication to God. This is serious. This is something that's deeply personal and deeply meaningful to each individual. And so when you pray, get alone. Go into your room and close the door and pray to God. Pray to the Father who is unseen. And when your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. How's G, what's Jesus telling us here? He's saying hey, how not to pray. He says, don't give God lip service to check a box. Don't, don't just give him some kind of lip service and, and just keep babbling. Have you ever experienced this? I remember experiencing this in, in church as a child. You'd have somebody that was maybe you know, in a Sunday school class and they'd pray one way. And then they were asked to pray in church in the service. Hey, we're going to ask uh, brother so-and-so to come up here and uh, He's going to pray us out this morning. So brother so-and-so, would you come up here? Brother so-and-so comes up. And you're like, oh, I love brother so-and-so. He's, he's, he's a great Sunday school teacher. Love this guy. And he gets up and, will you please bow with me? Gets the mic. He's like, Lord, we pray that, you, that thy bounty be upon us, that you bestoweth us with thy gifts from heaven asunder. And you're like, what is he talking about? All of a sudden, King James just comes pouring out of his mouth. It's like, what is that? Brother so-and-so got caught up in trying to look spiritual and trying to give lip service and trying to use many impressive words to babble on before God. And Jesus reminds us here in the red letters. He says, no. God doesn't honor you because you use a lot of words. God doesn't like, hear your prayers more in the King James than he does in the NIV. No. God wants your heart. God wants this connection and this fellowship with prayer. So how not to pray? Don't pray for show to look spiritually superior. Don't give God lip service to check a box. To just Because that's how we approach it sometimes. We just check this box. It's not meaningful. We don't go into our prayer closet and really cry out to the Lord. We just check the box, you know. Sunday lunch. 
What do you do after church on Sundays when you go out to eat with your family or with your friends? You pray. That's what you do. Do you pray tonight at dinner at your house with just your family? Do you pray tomorrow at lunch? What's so holy and reverent about the noon meal on Sunday? Sometimes we view this and we just want to check the box. And then it's interesting, too, what it says there in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need. Consider this. If God already knows what we need. Okay, wrap your mind around this. He knows what you need before you pray. He knows what you are going to say before you say it. He knows the thought before it comes out of your mouth. Okay, this is why people running away from God, I think it's hilarious. I know we all do it. I, I used to do it too. Run away from God, hide our sin, right? Oh, Jesus is okay with this. You know, you need to be okay with this. Everybody else is okay with this. Is Jesus okay with this? You know, and we hide it from him and, and how our corruption in our heart. And, and no. God, God is so wise, has so much wisdom, and, and is so omniscient, all-knowing, and all-powerful. He knows what we need before we ask him. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows the thought before we think it. He knows. So thinking about that, if God knows what we need, then what is prayer? Then prayer is not about the words that we pray. He already knows them. If we're praying to impress someone, check a spiritual box, then we're missing out on the power of prayer. And I think that the power of prayer is a connection to a relationship with God Almighty and all his divine wisdom and all his divine might and power and holiness. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But we don't give him this to check a box. We don't give this him given this. We need to remember this, that prayer is always and will always be a dynamic conversation with God Almighty. It's a dynamic conversation with God Almighty, and it's a connect point between us and him, and it's a big deal. And remember that God knows what you need before you even ask him. And then Jesus goes on, because of this, I've told you now how not to pray, I've told you what this means, and I've reminded you of who God is. Then he says in verse 9, then this is how you should pray. So let's talk about how to pray now. The first thing we need to know here and we need to think about is that when we're praying, we need to focus on who the Lord is. We need to focus on who the Lord is. Go there with me, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed or hallowed, some pronounce it. What does that mean exactly? If you go back to the original language, it, it means pure, separate, holy, divine. Hallowed be your name. We need to focus on who the Lord is, and we need to remember who we're praying to. I love that new song we did this morning, Echo Holy. What a great reminder of the holiness of God. Did you, did you get some of the lyrics in there? A million angels fall face down on the floor because of the holiness and the presence of God. 
So it has a line in there that says, take my breath away, that literally your breath is given to you by God. To be in his presence, understand his holiness, to understand who he is and how high and honored and lifted up. He is the throne that is above all thrones. Holy is the Lord. To the point that if you were to encounter him, he would even take your breath away, just your, your natural reaction to his supernatural presence. And Jesus says, listen, this is how you should pray. Remember who you're talking to. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Focus on who the Lord is. And think of those terms that you use to describe him. And address him this way when you open in prayer. Think that he is all-knowing, that he is loving, that he is caring, omnipresent, that he is the heavenly Father. It's, it's interesting. Jesus refers to God all through this passage as Father. Did you notice that? Go back to verse 5 and you see how many times that Jesus mentions that this is the heavenly Father, that he is called the Father. In fact, interesting about Jesus. He calls God the Father all throughout Scripture. There's only actually one place where he doesn't call and address the Heavenly Father as Father or Heavenly Father. It's on the cross. At one point, Jesus cries out. You, you remember one of the things he cried out, right? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Do you, you remember other things that he taught, and he always addressed the Heavenly Father. But on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the moment that I think it was so evident the load bearer of sin of all the world, of all mankind, of all the past and all the future, came upon the Holy Lamb of God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But every other time, it appears in Scripture that Jesus addresses or prays to or refers to God Almighty. He's the Heavenly Father. I think we need to remember that when we're praying. Praying to the Father of all. He's the peace, he's good, he's powerful, he's wise, he's in control over all things. Remember who you're talking to. Did you ever have anyone do that to you? Uh, maybe you got called to the principal's office as a kid. And we got called to the principal's office, there was this moment where maybe you were being a little disrespectful, you know? Maybe you thought you would talk to the principal like you talk to your friends. You know, like, hey, Johnny, I'm in. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's going great. Good. You know, you don't go in the principal's office and say, hey, Mr. Barkley. Hey, how's it going, man? How's it? You know, you don't do that. You're like, oh, hey, uh, Mr. Barkley, how are you? They, maybe you were in a situation. Maybe it was with your dad. You're dressing something. But you come to this point. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Hey, remember who you're talking to. I just wonder sometimes if we approach prayer this way, hey, Hey, brother and sister in Christ, the God of the universe sacrificed his son. Hey, remember who you're talking to. Hallowed be his name. Focus on who he is. Remember that he's the highest throne. And honor him when you address him in prayer. The second thing that Jesus gives us here is that we need to realign our wills. Realign your will with his. Realign your will with his. What does it say there in verse 10? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Now let me tell you, whether you realize it or not, you desire this. You desire this. All the brokenness, all the pain, all the sinfulness, everything that you experience in life that you probably hate, God hates it worse. And Jesus says here that when we pray, we're not going to pray for what we want because what we want is wrong. What we, what we want is ease. What we want is comfort. What we want is an easy way out. That's all provided for us in heaven. We're in this world. We're just making our way through this world. There in the, what did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. And yet, it seems like when we go to God in prayer, this is the number one thing we go about, right? Oh, someone's sick. Got to amp up the prayer. Oh, I might lose my job. Now I'm going to pray. Oh, my finances. Oh, now I'm going to pray. Oh, so-and-so's gotten sick. Oh, now we're going to pray for them. And we need to realign our will with his and ask him, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand what you're asking for? And the Son of God here is instructing us. This is how you pray. You realign your will with the Heavenly Father's. And sometimes when you bring your laundry list of all the things that you want and all the things that you desire, think about it. It's selfish. Take it before the Lord and say, Lord, your will be done. Do you remember when Jesus did this? Because Jesus did this to the nth degree. Do you remember the, the night that he was betrayed? Before the trials, before the beating and the whipping, before he carried the cross of Calvary to Golgotha, before he was crucified. Do you remember what Jesus did? He did as he did so many other times. So many times it's, it's recorded in Scripture that he withdrew to a lonely place to pray. He goes to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And in that prayer, he says this, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. What he was talking about there was the cup of suffering because he knew what he was going to go through. He, he knew exactly what he was going to go through in the next 12 to 16 hours there. Deep suffering, crown of thorns, whipped with these 40 lashes within an ounce of your life, flesh open, infection coming in, bleeding, stripped naked, humiliated, spit upon. Lord, if there's any way, Heavenly Father, if there's any way that this cup can be passed from me. Jesus was saying, if there's any other way to save the world, if there's any other way to do this, God. But do you remember what he prayed next? But not my will but your will be done. You see, Jesus modeled it even to the point of death. To the heavenly Father, he says, I yield. I yield what I think I want. I yield what I desire in the flesh. Not my will, but your will be done. Wow. You talk about being connected to God in prayer and through prayer. Focus on who the Lord is. Realign your will with his. Third thing, acknowledge and rest in God as your provider. Jesus reminds them to acknowledge and rest in God as your provider. Look at verse 11. He says, give us today our daily bread. We forget this sometimes as Americans because chances are you have daily bread or food that will last you more than just today. Right? It's in the refrigerator. Some of you have a freezer in the garage. Some of you, some of you really, truly, if you just went with the food that's in your house right now, you could probably eat for two to three months. If you stretch it out, you might be able to eat for four to five months. But you have to understand, what Jesus was telling his disciples and the apostles here is that you need to, to depend on the Lord to be your provider. And sometimes I think in affluent America, we, we get away from that. 
We are, we are our provider, because I work. How do you work? I work with skills. Who gave you the skills? God. Oh, okay. Okay, that came from God, too. Okay, well, what about this? God, God gives us everything. We know that all the good and perfect gifts come from our Heavenly Father. We know that we read that He knows what our need is before we even ask Him. He knows we need food, folks. I mean, if you don't eat, if you just start today and you're like, I'm not going to eat, you'll last a while, right? I mean, we know you can last, what, 40 days? Some of, some of you may not be able to last that long. Some of you may be a little bit longer. But if you just decide, hey, I'm not going to eat anymore, you're going to die. God knows that you need food. And he says here, hey, to the disciples, you guys are going to go through a lot of things here. And you're going to suffer a lot of things. I want you to remember that even that daily provision of just a meal comes from the Heavenly Father. Acknowledge and rest that God is your provider. No matter what you're going through, no matter your circumstance right now, I lost my job, I don't know what I'm going to do. My unemployment's running out. I, I'm going through this thing, or I, you know, I got my, my, whatever they call the stimulus payment, I got my stimulus payment, and I blew it all just like I was supposed to, like a good American, you know, and I, I yeah, I, I forgot to give it to the Lord, too. <laughs> like a, uh, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that we get to this point where we need to understand that God is the one that's ultimately in charge. And if we believe in verse 8, the Father knows what you need before you ask him, then I think we can believe in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. God will always provide. And what's amazing about this is even in the times, seasons, and circumstances where you're like, ah, oh, he's not going to. Not sure he's going to get me through this one. It just seems like that's when God's going to show up like the greatest. You're going to walk away with this testimony. It's going to build your faith because even in these times, even in my weakness, my faithfulness, if it was the size of a mustard seed, God was faithful. He will provide. Fourth thing, when we pray, how to pray, ask for forgiveness and give it. Do you do that in your prayers? Do you ask God for the forgiveness of your sins and then do you give it to others? Look what it says there in verse 12. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us, it's, it's actually really talking about sins there. Forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven those who sin against us. Ask for forgiveness from God and then give it. Matthew chapter 6, if you go down just a couple verses to verse 14 and 15, after our passage this morning, those next two verses, Jesus actually is doing a commentary. He's actually explaining exactly what he means by verse 12. Listen to verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Period. For some of us, gulp. I'm still holding a grudge against so and so that sinned against me years ago and I have not forgiven them. Then Jesus is saying, then the Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Do you see the irony of it? That you would actually accept God's forgiveness for all that you've done against Him. And yet a human could hurt you and harm you. And maybe really in a serious and bad way. And you would withhold the forgiveness from them. When God 
doesn't. Just remember, when someone sins against you, they've sinned against God even more. Even more. It's hurt God more than it will ever hurt you. I know it's hard to wrap our mind around this, but that's why this is such a big deal. And that's why Jesus goes down here into verses 14 and 15 and and explains it. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you your sins. And I think sometimes we're just not good at this part of prayer. I mean, making a confession to God, confessing our sins before him. And maybe in those moments realizing I've got to let this sin that was committed against me go. You see, we need to understand this. The sin of an unforgiving heart, which always turns into this and becomes this bitter spirit, it forfeits blessing and invites judgment into our lives. It's exactly what Jesus is saying here. The sin of an unforgiving heart and a bitter spirit, it forfeits blessing and invites judgment into our lives. This word forgive here, it's an interesting word. Jesus actually uses it several times here. He uses it in verse 12 twice and a derivative of it the second time. And then 14 and 15, he uses it four times. It's the exact same word every time. It's this Greek word that's, that's a fiamy. And it's not so important that you remember a fiamy, but I want you to know what a fiamy means. If you said that, that someone, you know, if you will not a fiamy someone, they will not, uh, that God will not a fiamy you, it gives us this idea. It actually literally means to hurl away. It's this idea that when we forgive someone, we're hurling away the wrong they committed against us. We're hurling away the sins. Well, we, we see this in Scripture. When, when the Scripture says that God removes our sins from us, when he forgives us, it says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. What he's saying there is they're removed from you. You're connected to them no more. Why? Because I hurled it. Literally, the imagery that would come to a first century person that was reading this or hearing Jesus speak this live they would get this picture of a javelin, like in the Olympics. And they would take this javelin and they'd throw it as far as they could. If you've ever actually seen that, it's amazing. they throw it hundreds of feet. And God's saying, that is what I'm doing with your sin, and that's what you have to do with the sins of others against you. A fiamy, forgive. And you pray about it, because we know it's hard. It's not easy. Pray about it. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Fifth thing this morning, how to pray. Request God's protection. We like this one. In the church world, I grew up as a kid and I always heard about a hedge of protection. You ever heard of that before? Dear Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around Sister Marge as she goes into surgery this week. You know, as she travels on the roads, we give, we, we pray, Lord, a hedge of protection. I was like, why is it always a head, a hedge? You know, it's like, is it like a burning bush thing or like, well, what's the deal with the hedge? You know, because I'm thinking cinder block, wall of protection, brick, you know, and mortar, wall of protection, you know, something a little more sturdy, you know, even wood, you know, uh, but it's, it's, but it does ask us to re- Request for God's protection. Look what it says in 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because he's the one that brings those things our way. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, we all go through it. Even Jesus, when he was in this world, he was, he was tempted. He went through it. 
And it says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He may allow for Satan to have this temptation, this pattern in your life, but he's never going to allow it to be something that you have to give into. You know, don't ever get to this point where it's like, man, temptation was so strong, I just had to give in. No, you didn't. You could have said no. You could have stayed on God's side. You could have said no. You could have done the right thing. Because God's not going to allow you to be so deeply tempted that it's beyond what you can bear. He says this, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He's always going to provide a way out. And so we pray and we acknowledge and we we request God's protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And folks, honesty, we need to be praying more of that. There's a lot of temptation in our world right now. There's a lot of temptation that, that even the pandemic has brought about unique temptations. There's a lot going on in our world and in our government and in society and culture that brings about temptations. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And lastly, to close this morning, I want to leave you with this how to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Communicate with God constantly. Jesus modeled this throughout his life. Like I mentioned earlier, how many times was it that Jesus would withdraw and pray? And it's actually all throughout the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You you see this pattern over and over and over in Jesus' life. That before he would face the crowds, before he'd do the next ministry job, before he'd do the next thing, it would say, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to pray. You see, he practiced what he told us to do up there in verse 6. Go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. Jesus practiced this often. And it's all throughout the the New Testament too because we get told several times to to continually pray, to to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this. It says, rejoice always, because you should. We've got the joy of the Lord. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Why? For this is God's will for you. Remember, we're praying for God's will. This is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. Because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done in your life. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. We're going to focus on who the Lord is. We're going to realign our will with his. We're going to acknowledge And rest in the fact that God is our provider. We're going to ask for forgiveness and we're going to give it. We're going to request God's protection and we're going to keep doing this continually. Because I'm here here to tell you something this morning. This is one of those times where you may feel a little guilty. Like, man, my prayer life isn't what it should be. And man, I'm that guy or that, that, that gal that, yeah, I just go to the Lord when I need something. And telling you what, there's this whole well of depth and connection in relationship with Jesus Christ that you're missing out on. But I want to assure you of this this morning. No matter where you're at, prayer life's great, solidly in communion and communication with God or not, God wants to hear from you. Please know, God wants to hear from you. Don't doubt that I'm too far, I'm too sinful, I'm too this. No, 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 no. 
Hear me. God wants to hear from you. And he wants to hear from you because he loves you. I was thinking about this uh, relationships. Um, I was thinking about this in the context of like a dating relationship. Have you ever had that friend that was dating somebody and um, they were putting way more into the relationship than their person they were dating? You know, and it's almost like you felt like it was a one-sided relationship. You know, it's like your schedule, you're always waiting on them. They're always like doing their own thing. And you're always, you know, always thinking and thoughtful things. And you get them little gifts. And you, you're the first to call them. You're the first to text them. And, and you're watching this friend in this relationship. You're like, hello, wake up. They must not be that into you. I mean, this is completely one-sided, Right? It's completely one-sided. I mean, they're doing everything, and, and you're getting no response here from them, and, and, and you're doing, yeah, it's just this is one-sided relationship. And we look at that, we go, duh, break up, right? I mean, it's frustrating. Some of you have been out of friendship that that's way. You just give, 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 and all of a sudden, this, this person that you thought was your friend, they just never give back. They never text back. They, they, they never respond, they never thank you, they're never there for you when you need them. You're always there for them, but they're never there for you. And you, and you have this one-sided relationship. I just wonder, does God feel that way sometimes? And does he feel that way in this area because we don't text him back, we don't communicate? When something happens in our life, we're not thanking and praising him that, man, something good happened. Praise the Lord. If all good and perfect gifts come from above... Does God get sick of the kind of relationship that's just there when we have an emergency? It's like, you know, genie in the bottle, you know, spiritual prayer, 911 prayer. Oh, Lord, help me, heal me, bless me, give me all these things. What does Jesus say? Think about it. Think about it. Let it soak in. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give, give us this day our daily bread. We know you're our provider, Lord. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes when I read scripture like that and something that I've read and heard and we pray it sometimes, the Lord's Prayer, how did Jesus say it? I mean, was it right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount just full of emotion? How did he say it? How meaningful was it for the Son of God to be teaching his closest companions, this is how you address my Father. This is how you address your Father. And do it in love. Don't make this a one-sided relationship where God does everything for us and we do nothing for him. He cries out, pray, come to me. Come to me in prayer. And we have the example from Jesus in the word. Let's apply this to our prayer life. Let's change, and let's be drawn in even closer with Jesus. How the early church do it, how the early Christians do it, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer.
We have the opportunity in just a moment that we're going to respond by taking communion together, by, by elevating this meal that we just talked about in Acts 2.42, devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, the, the bread that represents Christ's body, the cup that represents his blood. And in this moment, I imagine that most of you at some point pray. Maybe use this as a model today. Acknowledge who God is. Ask that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Acknowledge him as the provider for your life. Confess your sin to him and ask him to forgive you. And maybe you need to release a grudge or something against another. And pray that he'd protect you, that that, that he wouldn't allow temptation to just overwhelm you, but he would deliver you from the evil one. And remember, he makes such good on his promise that he sacrificed his son. And in this moment, that's what we remember through these emblems. Let's pray together, and then you're going to have a couple minutes to commune with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you loved us so much. And God, you're so patient with us. We're so undeserving, really, truly of a relationship with you, and yet we understand that's why Jesus died. It wasn't just some ticket punch to heaven. It was a relationship with God. It was a relationship with holy, set apart, a loving Heavenly Father that would go to the nth degree of love to actually have a sacrifice of his own family to save a relationship with us. God, I pray we would grow as the early church did and be dedicated as the early Christians were and that we would find ourselves on the increase of our lives more devoted to prayer and God, that we wouldn't approach a prayer flippantly in any way, but we'd remember who we're talking to. We'd remember that you are holy. We'd acknowledge that. God, that we would use Jesus' prayer that we've read and studied this morning as a model in our life to grow and, 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 and to know that in doing that, God, you're not going to grow us deeper and closer spiritually with you. That when we share prayers together sometimes, that, that we're not going to only just grow deeper and closer together, but God, you're going to do that. And it's going to affect the world. And we're going to see the church grow further and faster because we are closer and deeper with a walk with you. God, I pray as we take this communion now, And we remember your sacrifice through these emblems. Lord, we do this as you asked in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we give you, God, all the praise and all the glory. Thank you for loving us so much. And thank you for the prayer of your son, Jesus. We say this prayer in his holy name. Amen. Take a moment this morning and commune with your heavenly Father.